0: So, you'll see in the notes that it's, the name of my sermon is up for whatever. Actually, when Ben texted me and asked me if I had a title, I said I was up for whatever title he had in mind, and that's what he put notes. (laughs) No, I stole that from Kelly. Kelly gave a sermon, I don't know when now, a couple, well, last Friday? Wow. Was it last Friday? Kelly gave a sermon at TCF last Friday. I wasn't there, so I don't remember when it was, but I listened to it, and honestly, I highly recommend it. I think it's one of the best sermons I heard last year, Uh, and so I stole my title from him. Um, I am going to open with a scripture from Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29, this is when Jacob has left his home and has gone back to the home of his ancestors and he's in the house of Laban and he's begun um, to uh, work for Laban or this is the beginning of their relationship so Genesis 29 starting in verse 18 Jacob loved Rachel and he said I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel Laban said it is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man stay with me So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for that statement of what you have done in your son Jesus, of who you are, Lord, of the gift of the Holy Spirit, of the ministry of your son. Lord, we thank you that we gather around his cross uh, Lord, we thank you that we gather with the promise of His coming to judge the live and the dead, uh, the living and the dead. Lord, we ask that you would be with us tonight. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the ways in which you have been with us, uh, and Lord, I ask that you would stir in our hearts a a vision for the years to come. Uh, Lord, a vision that is shaped by the cross and a vision that is shaped by uh, the return of your Son Jesus. Uh, Lord, we just lift up our times and say we need wisdom from you. Uh, about how to live together as a people, to hold forth the word of life. Uh, And so, Lord, I just ask that you would give us that wisdom tonight, Lord, that you would set our hearts uh, with your Son, Lord, that you would help us by the Spirit to fix our eyes on your Son, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. And, Lord, he is now seated at your right hand. Uh, So we just bless you, and we thank you that we can gather here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so Billy um, sort of shared some of the questions that have um, brought up the topic for the weekend, um, and I'll just say that I remember when I came into the church, and Shannon and I were thinking about this. I remember when I came to the church. I think I remember that Christmas trees were kind of. Is that what? Do you remember that, Shannon? Nobody had Christmas trees at any rate, and, and we were like, oh, okay, I guess they don't do Christmas trees. And then I think Billy said that uh, somebody said Christmas trees were of the devil, so he got a Christmas tree. Is that right? Uh, so, that you know, that was one thing. I remember nobody did Halloween. Um, you know, as a young college student, all these things, I was excited about God. I was excited about the church, and I was just, at that time, up for whatever. And it was, like, okay, well, these are the things that we don't do. But, again, it's been, so, 26 years, 25 years since I've been around, and the church has grown. I think the church was this size when I joined it. Ryan, is this, is this a, okay, it was probably maybe half the size of this. kids. Okay, this, yeah, this size with kids. So, at any rate, um, just a lot has changed and a lot of time has gone by. So, what I want to do, I have, I suppose, five steps, I don't know if they're five points, but five steps and what I want to share and then some questions for us. And overall, um, I guess I want to call us to the cross. Uh, I want to call us to let all our decisions together as a people be shaped by the mindset of Christ. So really, you want to know where I'm going? I'm going to Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. Um, But I have some steps I want to take before we get there. So step number one, or point number one, is that we, the people of God, have always been called to be outsiders. Think about how repetitive the theme of being an outsider is. Abraham was called to leave Ur. He was called to leave the security, the stability, the comfort, uh, the ease of life in the city of Ur, and all, of the, all the amenities that were there. And he was called to be a nomad, to be a wanderer. And his life was really between the poles of Ur and then Egypt, right? Between uh, going to those places from time to time, but really he was called to be an outsider because the people of God have always been called to be outsiders, to be able to pull back and be at a critical distance so that we have something better to offer the world than the culture of the world. So, again, this is such a repetitive theme in the Bible. The Exodus generation, remember, they were called out of Egypt. Um, They were called to a time in the wilderness. I'm going to get back to that time in the wilderness so that they could get their heads clear of the clouds of Egypt, so that they could then go into the promised land. But if you pay attention, the warnings were greatest for when they went into the promised land and settled down. Right, The warnings were the greatest for when they went and settled down that they would forget God, that they would forget uh, that they were called to be a blessing. Uh, And of course they ultimately did. But that theme of being called outside, and you can see again and again, and of course Jesus is the ultimate example of being called out of a culture to return to that culture and bring blessing to it. So that's the first step. Um, The second is this. In general, I think you can look in the Bible and find examples of all kinds of responses to the culture around the people of God. All right, let me just give some examples of what I mean. There's the obvious examples of condemnation, condemning the idolatry of culture, right? You see again and again the people of God called to say, hey, this is wicked, we can't take part in it. Uh, And bringing judgment on it. Um, You see them in various ways engaging critically with the culture around them. Maybe not condemning everything, but engaging and being critical of things that are in culture. But calling out things that are good. Maybe you could think of Paul uh, on Mars Hill calling out some things that were good in culture to point them to the gospel. Sometimes they copied cultures around them. Most people say that uh, much of the temple, the design of the temple, you could see examples of some of the artistic elements in the temple in the the archaeology of Egypt. That that was just, uh, I mean, there were things about it that were unique according to God's plans, but there were things that were in imitation of the culture around them, and that's not looked in judgment in the Bible. And then finally, consuming the culture. Using the things that the culture provides that are good or neutral in a good way. Does that make sense? Those are examples of various ways, and we could come up with more, but those are examples of various ways the people of God have responded to the culture around them at any time. And I think you could come up with examples of, today, we would condemn pornography at all times. We would condemn all kinds of things at all times. Um, So you could work through all those, but this brings me to point three, which is that none of these should settle into our default. Does that make sense? None of these should become our absolute default at all times. We have to be able to be discerning. And I want to suggest that very often the people of God at various times can easily settle into any one of these as the default in an uncritical way. Uh, And I want to give some examples of why I think that happens, but ultimately I want to say it shouldn't happen. We shouldn't settle into any one of those and just stay there, um, by default, without seeking God, without seeking God together. Does that make sense? So let me give some examples of, I think, um, reasons why we could tend to settle in um, and not really stay in a place of figuring out how we need to be. Maybe the biggest one is we just like one of these options. We just like it. We just like to consume or we just like to just say, it's all bad and I don't have anything to do with it. It's just what we like. Does that make sense? Um, and that's not necessarily a good thing. That's not necessarily the best way to respond to the things that are going on around us. Take whatever it may be. You just like rated R movies. Well, that's great, uh, but is that the best reason to be, to be pursuing them? Um, another reason is that it's just easy. We'd just rather not put in the work of discernment, uh, the work that it takes to pray and seek God and talk together and figure out uh, what ought we to do. Uh, Another reason is just that's our personality. That's our personality preference. Um, I don't think Jeremiah's personality was to do the ministry that he was called to. I really don't. I think he seems to me to be some kind of an introvert, and he was called to this very extroverted, very difficult um, task of preaching. Right? He was called out of, I don't think, what was his personality. Um, Another bad reason for just defaulting to one of those positions is we just want to fit in right? We merely want to fit in. Paul all the time gives examples of, hey, listen, we need to be good examples. We need to be leaders. We need to have leaders that are without accusation from outsiders. They're well spoken of by outsiders, but not just to fit in, right? Not just because we don't want to stand out. Um, Legalism is another reason. Now, Sometime or other, I need to, we need to have a sermon series or something on what legalism is, because I don't think legalism is what most people think legalism is. I think legalism, if you look at least in Galatians, it seems to be about fitting in. It seems to be about pleasing people, uh, if you pay attention to, to how it, it plays out in Galatia. But that's a, a talk for another time. Um, at any rate, legalism is another reason people settle in. Another one is fads. Consider how people's attitudes towards movies as the years have gone by, especially Christians and evangelical communities, their attitudes towards movies have shifted. I think it's just, I think 80% of it is just that's the fad of the day. The atmosphere of the day just happens to be uh, whatever it is, not going to the movies or critiquing you know, big idea movies or just going to movies. I think it's just the, the fad of the day. Um, another bad reason for settling into one of these, fear of missing out. If, you ever heard of FOMO? How many people have heard of FOMO? F-O-M-O, fear of missing out. All right, It's, just, it's a, it is just an established phenomenon. They, they realize that when people look at social media and see the wonderful lives other people are having and the wonderful food other people are having, they have this anxiety about missing out on the good lives that everybody else is having, and it sort of drives them... Uh, it drives their behavior. It's a genuine phenomenon. I mean, I think I think it's a human an ancient human phenomenon, right? It goes way back. It's not just because of social media. Um, another reason I think we settle into our responses uncritically is that we just get anesthetized by prosperity and ease. Does that make sense? Uh, in In Ezekiel chapter sixteen, Ezekiel chapter 16 is crazy, and he's saying that he's talking about Israel, and he's saying that that Israel is worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. But when he talks about the sins of Gomorrah, he says, the sins of your daughter Gomorrah are pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, and they forgot the poor. Pride, excess of food, prosperous ease, and they forgot the poor. Remember the warning in Deuteronomy. Remember the warning in the desert. When you settle down, You're going to forget God. Well, pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease did that to them. Another reason I think people settle into the two default responses uncritically is because they ask the wrong questions. And probably the most important wrong question to ask is, is it permissible? Does that make sense? One of the big things I want to say tonight is that's the wrong question. And Paul is at great pains in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians to say, guys, there's a much better question. There's a lot of things that are permissible, but that's not the question we need to be asking. Yeah, that's right. And then finally, and I think maybe this is most important, is our basic human allergy to the cross. Our basic human allergy to giving up things for the sake of God's purposes, for the sake of God's glory, and for what he's about. Remember, in all the Gospels, when the cross is mentioned, the response of the disciples is confusion and avoidance, right? So that brings me to step four. Uh, I think we are called to be up for whatever, to steal Kelly's phrase. As a people, we're called to be up for whatever, which in this context means, hey, if we decide... If in prayer and talking and seeking God we decide, you know, an Amish uniform is the best, we need to be up for whatever. Does that make sense? I mean, that's, that's what we need to be if we're convinced that that is the best for the context we're in and what God has called us to do in this day and age. So we need to be flexible. We need to be able to respond with any of those responses and others for the sake of what God is calling us to. And in the Bible... This happens in the wilderness. This happens in times of seeking God. This happens when the people of God pull away from everything. They pull away from all distractions in for a time in order to seek God so that they can then wisely re-engage with culture. Wisely re-engage with the world around them. Bring the blessings of God to the world around them. And in this context, it's worth pointing out, remember, Jesus was accused of both being a wine winebiber, right? Hanging out, partying, and also being too austere. He was accused of both, right? Well, because he's not going to make everybody happy. He sought his father, and he knew exactly how to respond to the Pharisees. He knew how to respond to everybody. Paul was accused of being too harsh and too easy, Right? Paul was accused of, being, accused of being inconsistent because he knew how to wisely respond to different situations and different circumstances. So we need to be able, together, to regularly assess what we're doing, why we're doing it. Uh, and that brings me to five, which is we need to be able to discern our responses to things, together and in the Spirit. All right, together and in the spirit. Uh, again, I would encourage everybody in this regard to maybe read first and Second Corinthians. maybe First Corinthians more than second Corinthians. First Corinthians is a lo- in large part about a lot of questions like this, right? They had slightly different questions, but they were the same in spirit. Should we eat meat sacrifice to idols? Uh, should we uh, should we marry or not? We don't have that question, but they had that question because it was very pertinent. All right, they had a lot of questions like that. Paul gives responses to them. But what you see is a picture of a community wrestling with how do we live in Corinth in this day, remain faithful to the gospel, remain open to outsiders. Those are the biggest questions. And it's in that context that Paul... Um, gives the wisdom that he does. And notice, too, in that context, and I think this is very important, important Paul distinguishes between this is what the Lord says and this is what I think, Paul. Does that make sense? He's very good at distinguishing, hey, listen, I'm not, this is not a rule, this is not God, I just let me give you my personal opinion, my personal wisdom, and this is a non-negotiable from the Lord. He's very good at bringing those distinctions. So you can look at those letters as their conversation. Uh, that we get a glimpse in on how they're trying to figure that out and their paradigms for how we need to figure it out. Um, step six: This is a never-ending process. All right we will we will have new things that we have to deal with. We already have new things. I, I don't think I know when Billy's kids were little. The question of phones and the internet and social media those are not questions. And I promise you, we will have bigger questions, more questions. The times will change, and we will constantly have to engage and figure out how to engage in new, in new ways. Um, the best, one well, my favorite examples of this in the Bible, of a new situation, a new circumstance, is Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were in a totally new context, and they had to do, they had to take a moment of discernment. And what they discerned, what Daniel figured out was, we can't eat this food, but we can study this literature. We can't eat this food, but we can excel at the things they're teaching us and asking us to excel in. And they stood out because they did both. They knew where to say we can't go here, but we can go here. Yeah, that's really good. Does that make sense? They were and they were in a totally new context uh, from being in the land of Israel, and they had to figure out in that new context what to do. And it's at this point that I just want to I want to call and remind everybody. I know everybody knows these things, but to remind us of some of the things that the CF churches offer to the world um, because, uh, because we have sought God over the years. Does that make sense? Um, because ultimately what we're bringing to the world is not what we don't do, but what we have, right? That the world doesn't have. And so I just, there's a lot that I've, I've experienced, but let me just mention three. Real relationship. Where we're really known. Where we get pulled out of our fantasies and our illusions about ourselves and other people and where we come to walk in genuine knowledge of others, knowledge of God, knowledge of ourselves, that comes from, and the depth of commitment in relationship, people are dying for relationship, genuine relationship. Uh, And by God's grace and by seeking God, we have found our way to this, right? I just had a home group Two home groups in a row where it was big, sort of, I don't know about fighting. What would you call it, Shannon? Really honest, nitty-gritty, hard discussions. And they were my favorite home groups. I wasn't on the hot seat, but they're still my favorite. <laughs> um, that's what the world is dying for. That's one of the things the world is dying for. And, and we have that, thank God. Because... We've sought God over the years and said, what do we really need to give ourselves to? Discipleship. Um, we really want to teach people to obey everything Jesus taught. And we've really been given grace to learn and be in the process of obeying everything Jesus taught. We're really doing that. We can do better. We're gonna to need to do better. But it's really happening. And when you touch on when I touch on other churches not in judgment in any other way. I'm just so glad that we are doing what we're doing and pursuing the things we're pursuing. But it costs us, right? I mean, it really does. It's really taken giving up some things in order to make it happen. And then what we're talking about this weekend, community. The church of the living God, our congregations and others around the world, our congregations are glimpses of heaven to a dying world. And maybe we don't always give a perfect picture, but man, I'm telling you, we give a picture. It breaks through and helps people see it. But it costs a lot to do it. So, ultimately, this is eight. We need to know what we offer to the world. Uh, when Israel, when Israel um, was in the wilderness getting ready to go into the promised land, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, did I miss a step? Seven? Yeah, I just didn't say it. It was what we what we have seen of churches. Some examples of some, some things we offer because we've sought God, gone into the wilderness. Um, so Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, Moses says this, For what great nation is there that has a God so near to us as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Moses, Moses was just captivated by the fact that God was with Israel and that God gave them his teaching. And he says, people are going to see this and be drawn to it. And the reason they weren't always drawn to it is because they weren't always faithful to it. But the world was drawn to it. Remember the queen of Sheba, right? She comes and she's like, wow. What, look at what they have and the laws that they have and God is with them. But more than that, and I, and I think this is where I want to center up and focus here at the end, is Philippians 2, 5-11. through 11. What we have to offer the world is the mind of Christ. The mindset of Christ. Uh, Jesus... The whole shape of his entire life. How many people have this memorized? Many people have it memorized. This is, a, this is one that I think we should all have memorized. But I'm going to read it. I think I have it memorized, but I'm going to read it. Uh, I guess I'll start in verse 1. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He did not ask the question, what is possible? He did not ask the question, what is permissible? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? If you go to what's in Corinthians... You could say that Paul's saying, guys, if Jesus asked the question, what is permissible? He would not have taken on flesh. He would not have emptied himself. His question is, Father, what's best? What's your heart? What what needs to happen for the sake of my brethren? Who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, did not ask what's permissible. with our lives. We need to take that mind on and let the mind of Christ play out in every one of our lives and in our lives together. We need to not ask the question of what's permissible, but ask the question of what is best. What is the Father's heart? What will build up the people of God? So, that's number nine. Step nine for me is this. In all our deciding about what we do and how we engage... We need to be deepening as individuals and a people in the mindset of Christ. He set aside his rights, his well-deserved rights. This is very important. He set aside his well-deserved rights as the Son of God for something bigger, for something better. He gave up a lot in order to go and be a part of his father's mission. Most people think that when it says he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, That There's an image of Adam and Eve grasping after the fruit, grasping after being like God. But see, the Son trusted the Father, trusted that the Father would give all good things to him, and didn't grasp at anything. He was up for whatever. So being up for whatever means you're up for the cross, ultimately. And the point is that Jesus' whole life, from the beginning, was shaped by the cross. The whole shape of his ministry, not just the nails at the end, was in the shape of the cross. There are many things that Jesus simply did not have time for. Good things that he just didn't have time for because of the importance of his father's mission. Does that make sense? And we sh- there's a lot of things, good things that we should, if we, if we have our prayers answered, we just won't have time for because we'll have people to love and serve. If God answers our prayers, we won't have time for all kinds of wonderful things. But fortunately, our hope is not in the wonderful things that we get in this life. Right? We have a joy that is set before us. This is the same message that Paul has to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm not going to read it, but everybody's familiar with it. He gives him the image of a farmer, a soldier, and an athlete. All three are images of people who give things up, who set things aside who decide there's just things they can't do because they're doing something more important and they're going to let those things go. They're up for whatever for the sake of the thing they're giving themselves to, bringing forth fruit, pleasing their their superior officer, winning the contest. And then, of course, Hebrews. And this is where I want to go. Towards the end of last year, I kind of felt led to memorize, begin to memorize Hebrews chapter 12, parts of Hebrews chapter 12. And that's the uh, great cloud of witnesses and, and those verses there. Um, and the writer of Hebrews challenges, he says, listen, because we have this great cloud of witnesses, this great cloud of people who have trusted God, obeyed God, and done these amazing things, either these amazing miraculous things or these amazing acts of suffering. Uh, For the sake of God and his kingdom. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. I'm going to say something about the weight. The sin is obvious. But the weight is not bad things. Does that make sense? The sin, lay aside the besetting sin, yeah, that's obvious. But I believe the weights that he's saying to lay aside, those aren't bad things. Those are good things. But see, for something bigger, you lay aside those things because you have a vision. And he says, ultimately, that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, uh, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Can you all figure out why I started with the Genesis passage? Jacob, now I want you to think about this. Fathers, think about this. Or no, maybe young men, I don't know. Uh, you know, a young man comes and says, hey, I'm interested in your daughter, I'd like to, you know, date you. I say, yeah, that's great, but listen, you just need to work for me for seven years. Seven years. That's the longest engagement I'm aware of. But the scripture says that Jacob, it was no time to him. Why? Because of the love he had for his bride to be. And in the book of Hebrews, it says, Jesus, for the joy set before him, Endured the cross. And what it says is despising the shame. And what that means is, it wasn't a big deal to him compared to the joy of pleasing his father. And compared to the joy of winning his bride. Does that make sense? So I guess what I want to encourage us to in all of these discussions, we need to be up for whatever. We need to have a mind shaped by, well you know what, I've taken up the cross. And so that means there's going to be more and more I'm giving up. All right, the way we need to think about this room and this retreat is this is people who have said, I'm taking up the cross. This is people who have said, I'm up for whatever. I'm up for, I'm signed on to whatever the Spirit of God leads us to and the, the, our wisdom together leads us to. We signed up for the cross, so yeah, absolutely, because we have a joy set before us. We have the preparation of the bride of Christ set before us. We have the joy of pleasing our Father set before us. So, my two things, I guess. One, in all our thinking, we need to have the mind of Christ. But two, the mind of Christ, he had a joy set before him. It was the joy of his Father. And the desire to please him above all else. And that shaped all of Jesus' decisions. That, that was at the basis of how he made all kinds of decisions. Amen? So... Here at the end, I have like five questions, and we can come up with more, but these are five questions just to, to help us think about, um, do we have that joy set before us, and uh, is that what shapes us? Is the mind of Christ what shapes us? So the first one is this, is there anything you're not willing to give up for the sake of the mission? Is there anything that's so sacred to you, and you know, think of anything, favorite hobbies, Movies, vacations, I don't know, the way you dress, anything. I don't have anything in mind, but is there anything you're not willing to give up for the sake of the mission? Two, I'd say that maybe, if there is, that may be a weight that's holding you back from running the race that's set before you. Another question is this, have you adopted some cultural norm for any of the stupid reasons? Fear of missing out, it's your own culture, whatever it is. Third question, is your life structured, are our lives structured around times of seeking God? You know, we have an annual time of seeking God, and sometimes we drag our feet to that, but we should have that annual time, and it should be a time of refreshing, and we should all individually, I think, have times when we unplug to seek God and get clarity. Four, is the guiding question of your life, what is permissible, what is my right, or is the guiding question of your life, what builds up the people of God? What is beneficial so that others might be saved? What would most please my master? What would make me more productive in service to his vision? Which question drives your decisions? And number five, is your whole life going in the direction of Peter's? And does everybody know what I mean? I love, I love the, the conversation that Jesus has with Peter on the beach after his failure. Hey, Peter, when you were young, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. And when you're older, other people are going to dress you and you're going to go where you don't want to go. He's talking about the the cross. If we follow Jesus, our life is going to get narrower and narrower and narrower and narrower for the sake of the people God calls us to love, for the sake of what God has called us to we have to realize, all of us, that all of our lives are to be shaped by the cross. All of our lives are to be shaped by divesting ourselves of good things that maybe are right for the sake of the joy that's set before us. Amen? All right, Billy, I'm done. Can I pray and then back to you? Jesus, we do ask uh, that your Holy Spirit would help us Uh, Lord, to help us to be an outsider people. Uh, Lord, to help us to be a people with clear heads and clear vision. Lord, to help us to be a people who have a joy that is set before us. Uh, Lord, that we would be a people that are shaped by that joy and shaped by a willingness to pay any price for the sake of the joy that is set before us. Jesus, I thank you that you went before us. And, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you divested yourself and you gave things up, not because you liked giving things up, but because you had a joy set before you, the will of your Father, the love of your brethren. And so, Lord Jesus, we just ask that you would continue to deepen us in the mind of Christ. And, Father, I ask that you would work in each one of us to put your finger on those places where we have a weight that holds us down, a weight that affects the way we decide, a weight that keeps us back from running with diligence the race that you have put before us. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you that you uh, did not count equality with your Father a thing to be grasped. We thank you that you are the author and the finisher of our faith. And Lord, we set our eyes on you. Amen.